This is The Playbook. Hey, this is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs The Playbook. I have Ryan Pineda here, and I was thinking of Cepeda uh, because you are an ex-baseball player. I am, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I found that competitive athletes, a professional baseball player for the Oakland A's, make the best entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so I wanted kind of to start there because the mindset, the heart set, and the handset that's required to be a professional athlete is the same, in my opinion, that of which to be a successful entrepreneur. And how do you feel about my proposition that those skills, those knowledge, and that desire is necessary to be successful as an entrepreneur to make it as far as you did as playing the most popular sport in America, that baseball? Yeah, you know, I never realized that we kind of think differently as athletes compared to most other business people and entrepreneurs, you know. For me, everything has always been very scheduled and routine-based, discipline-based, and so it was pretty natural when I went into entrepreneurship of like, hey, this is what we got to do. I get in at this time. We're going to knock this out. doesn't really matter how I feel. You know, we're going to just do whatever it takes. And um, I soon realized that not everyone's really like that. You know, people kind of do when they feel good or when things are going well, when the market's good, that's when they're good. And I'm like, man, in sports, it just doesn't matter how you feel. Someone's coming after your job. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing, whether, you know, you got a bad break, you just got to perform. And so that's kind of what I look at with entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. And especially the bad break side that, you know, you got to keep on playing. And, you know, I always tell, I have a 12 year old who plays baseball and he'll say, oh, you know, the ref was, I said, whoa, you know what, if you're going to start worrying about what calls are made, then you're not playing well enough. You got to play better than, you think Tom Brady hasn't had bad calls against him, but somehow he continues to succeed and he does better than those calls. What are some of the things, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade, I, actually. I went to law school and mm. came out of law school, got involved in technology. Uh, but real estate was always appealing to me because of the law. And let me explain why. Is that most people may or may not know this, that our government, all the laws that were created in America are based to protect one class of citizen, the landowner. Mm. And so from the inception of our laws, the inception of the United States, the advantageous career or industry has been real estate. And no matter what technologies exist around that or what platforms is, you know, we used to have, you know, the MLS was the only way you could buy real estate. And then this whole big thing called the internet happened. And now we went into web 2.0 and 3.0. For you, do you see, because you're an extraordinary entrepreneur in the space of real estate, do you see the advantages not having the legal background I have, but do you see how our systems and laws have been created to protect you and to promote you as a real estate investor and entrepreneur? Oh, yeah. I say this all the time. Like Every entrepreneur should become a real estate professional somehow, whether it's you or your wife, because there's no better tax advantage than being a real estate investor. You know, the fact that depreciation and cost segregations exist is mind-blowing, you know, and you see guys like Grant Cardone talking about not paying taxes, and you see guys like me who are starting funds and all these things. And yeah, you know, holding real estate long term is great. That's how you become wealthy. But the main benefit, in my opinion, of why the big guys do it are taxes. And um, 100%, like the way the system is set up is, you know, for one, business owners, and for maybe one B, real estate investors. Yeah. And in both of those situations, A and B, a lot of people don't understand the richest people in America made their money by asset-based lending. And, you know, we had Sean Merriman in here earlier, 
who does a lot of insurance. Marshall Falk is my business partner in insurance as well, and we deal in real estate insurance because asset-based lending is the best way to take advantage of tax-free income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you have uh, income-based property or even personal property that you can borrow against because of the asset, uh, we get a huge not only uh, leverage advantage, but we get this unbelievable tax advantage, as you said, holding real estate for the long run. When you're borrowing against something instead of taking profit, there's no taxes. Yeah, no, 100%. I think uh, if you don't know what we're talking about and you're listening to this, you need to uh, start researching real estate because there's really no other way to offset your taxes like in the way that real estate can. Yeah, and leverage, you don't have to. Where else can you buy something with 20% down and or, secure or it with 3%. what? 3%. Right, or 3 but <laughs> and secure it with what you're buying. Yeah. Right, you usually have to secure it beyond, but it's literally based upon what you're buying and you're securing against it. Now, you've learned so much over the years about real estate. How did you start this process of being so interested in real estate but finding these answers because I always say those entrepreneurs that are more interested than interesting do the best in real estate is one of those areas where there's plenty of information to figure it out. Yeah. So, you know, I got in real estate back in 2010. Um, I was 21 years old. Uh, I just started as a realtor, not because I loved real estate or anything like that, <laughs> only because, you know, I had just gotten drafted by the Oakland A's and I was only making 1200 bucks a month in the minor leagues. And so I needed a side gig to kind of just make money in the off season. And so being a realtor was something like my mom was. So I had seen her as a realtor make some decent money. Um, but overall, I was like, well, nobody's going to really hire me if I have to go leave for six months to play baseball. So I need something that is, you know, flexible. So I became a realtor. Um, I soon realized I hated being a realtor. <laughs> it wasn't really investing. It was just customer service, essentially. And um, I always knew that, like, one day I wanted to buy real estate. Like, I always thought I could flip houses. I was naturally a hustler, a flipper. I used to flip cell phones, Pokemon cards, like, everything you can imagine. Um, But I didn't know how to get money to go flip houses. So, you know, fast forward, it took me about five years before I realized, like, oh, there are ways to get money to flip that, you know, you don't have to save up hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can go get hard money loans. You can get private money loans. And, you know, sure enough, in 2015, five years later, I um, had saved up $10,000. It was nothing crazy. But um, I ended up maxing out my credit cards to get a down payment for a hard money loan. And uh, I flipped my first house. And that was life-changing for me. You know, I made $25,000 on that first deal, more money than I'd ever made in a transaction. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I wonder if I just did this like once a month, you know, I could make $300,000 a year. Like this is crazy. And, um, sure enough, that's what happened. I just kept getting better at finding deals. I got better at raising money. You know, we did five that first year, then 20, then 50, then 150. We've been doing over a hundred ever since on the flip side. And then, you know, we started buying apartment buildings and all of that success led to starting other businesses. And it's just been this wild ride where I wouldn't say I was ever necessarily passionate about real estate. I was always passionate about sports. But then when I understood the game of real estate and just the opportunities that you could have in it, I was like, wow, like this is something to become, you know, really good at. And you have become really good at it. Now you're helping other people become good at it. And one of the, I think, misguided technologies or capabilities that exist today is NFTs or digital assets. And 
you're starting to explore that yourself and so am I, which is why I was excited to have you on here because I see a lot of people looking at NFTs, for example, as collectibles and you're a baseball guy. And so yeah. am I a baseball and football guy. So I tell people all the time, not every baseball card is worth money, <laughs> right? And in fact, most baseball cards aren't, but the capabilities of the trading of a card, the capabilities today of NFT of web three, and I started in web one, right? I made my first money in the internet. People told me no shit in 92, Justice Scalia himself. I had a legal research online. We sold the company for 3.4 billion in 1995. Wow. That's a lot in 95. But Justice Scalia in 1992, when I started, told me nobody will ever do research online. You need books. Cause we sold legal books online yeah. in, in 92. And I see the same thing with web three when I talk about NFTs and real estate. And there's so many different opportunities with the capabilities of Web3, not the collectability of an NFT. What are some of the capabilities of digital real estate, of NFTs, of Web3.0 that really help make more money in real estate and provide more opportunities, options, and touches of favor? Yeah, no, 100%. I think um, I've been doing a lot of research. I did not sell my company for billions of dollars in 92. Was it wasn't just, just mine. So yeah. yeah, but I did make millions at least. Yeah. <laughs> I was just being born around then. Right. Sorry. But, okay. Um, age me. Yeah. <laughs> Not I, that you can't tell if you're watching the video who's younger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, but I did grow up in web two and social media and everything else. And so I've seen the benefit of social media in my own life and my own businesses. And so, you know, I got into the Web3 space back in 2017, like many others, when Bitcoin went to 20 grand. I'm like, holy crap, this Bitcoin thing is legit. Yeah. And then um, I bought it in at 20 grand and it tanked. And I'm like, oh, this Bitcoin thing's a scam, right? And then um, I kind of didn't think about crypto for a few years um, until about 2020 when the pandemic hit and you started to see the government print all this money. And I'm like, man, maybe this Bitcoin thing is like legit because there's a real problem with printing money. And um, I started to research crypto more, and I was like, dude, I'm actually a big believer in Bitcoin and everything else. And then um, NFTs came on the scene, you know, in 2021, you know, more mainstream. And at first I didn't get it. I'm like, what is this, right? Like, why are people paying so much money for a picture? And people are like, well, it's, it's art, you know? You, you don't get it. It's like people pay a lot for art. And I said, okay, like, I, I guess I get that. But then you started to see NFTs with utility, and these communities and these different things. You saw Gary V, who you know we had talked about previously, yep. um, you know, launch V Friends and this conference and these experiences. And I said that makes sense to have ownership of a membership essentially, and to be able to trade it makes a lot of sense, especially if there's a limited quantity or there's rarities and different things. So I said that's smart. I get that. So I was already sold on NFT from that perspective of having ownership of pretty much anything you want to do, you know, and I always tell people the easiest way to look at an NFT is just like a receipt, you know, it's a receipt that you own um, anything really. Um, you know, what if I had an NFT that, you know, basically got me on the playbook, right. right? And it's just like, man, that's pretty valuable for someone who wants to go. I mean, obviously I want to use it, but it has value. So it's super cool that that exists, but you know, when it came to real estate, I started to think, okay, how could Web3 really change real estate? You know, a lot of people are talking about it. It's not really being done right now. Nobody's really utilizing it today. But I started to research and I'm like, man, this is going to really change real estate in the next five to 10 years, like more than anything in the history. And, um, you know, I'll give people two big ways that it's going to change. Um, 
One is title. You know, the chain of title right now is still very archaic in real estate. Um, people, you know, it, it wasn't an, even 10 years ago. It was way more archaic than it is today. 10 years ago, you know, you go to the title company, you wire the money. They got to go send a runner to the county, record the deed, you know, everything happens. You better make sure your wire's in before 3 p.m. and all this stuff, and then maybe it closes the next day, right? Um, and it costs a lot of money to do that. There's all these fees with the title companies, the county, all this stuff. But, you know, when properties are on the blockchain, a lot of that goes away. You know, there's no doubt who owns the property, you know. Right. The need for title insurance And the history. In the history, it's right there. Everything's public. There's no way you can change it um, or mess with it. It eliminates so much fraud in the industry. And so, you know, the moment you start putting real estate on blockchain, I think that's a huge game changer. It's going to take time, but it will happen. Um, The second thing would be tokenization of real estate, you know. So the only problem with real estate is we talked about how, yeah, it's great. The government wants you to do it. It's the best tax incentives, all that. The only problem is you, you pay the price with liquidity. You know, unlike a stock or even a crypto, you can't just go sell it tomorrow. Um, but with what the blockchain's doing in Web3, um, you're going to be able to tokenize real estate very quickly. You know, we're going to be able to take, right now we're in the win. You know, if one of us wants to go buy the win and we can go get enough support behind it, we go start, you know, a crypto fund for it where we tokenize the win and we say, hey, you know, you can have shares of $100, right? And anybody can go liquidate those shares at any point that they want. They can buy in for as much as they want and then, you know, have certain rights for what they want to do with the win. Like, it's a really interesting thing that's going to happen. And the win's a huge example, but imagine just with a normal single-family house, an Airbnb. Like, those things are all so cool. And the moment that you start tokenizing real estate, um, it's gonna like it's gonna make real estate go even higher because now you're bringing in all this money that didn't exist before, um, because maybe they couldn't afford it. It was too expensive. They didn't like their capital being tied up in a fund for five years. Um, you know, once you eliminate all that, it's like, oh yeah, I would invest in the win. Like I can go get my money out anytime I want. There's it's trading, you know, based on the win's performance. The tokens go up. The NFT goes up. Like it's it's gonna change the game. Yeah, well, it's a much better investment than playing craps at the wind, although the wind probably doesn't want me telling you that. But <laughs> I'm just talking statistically. Uh, so, you know, it's, we're in this interesting time because the technology exists today, but it takes time. And, you know, I was CEO of Samsung's phone division before I got into sports. So I had the technology, the world's first smartphone. It was a Windows device, a Windows CE device, but it was too early. And I used to tell people it's going to take time because we need better batteries, we need better you know, bandwidth in order to effectuate a color phone that's a, they, call, they called it back in 1999 PC-E-Phone because it's a combination of a personal computer and a phone. Yep. So they were very clever. I feel like we're in the same place today with digital assets and, and NFTs and real estate. What should people be doing today with the downturn of the economy happening in this technology that will be applied, as you said, it will happen? What should we be doing today, according to real estate? Where, where should we be looking? What should we be utilizing today to take advantage of what's going to be happening with the market and with technology? Yeah, so let's talk about two different things. On the technology side, with this Web3 stuff we're talking about, um, you know, there, there's not a lot of resources on it as of today, right? You want to go learn about it. You heard about it on this podcast. That's pretty much it, right? right? Like, I'm the only guy you're going to really see talking about it too much because I'm super passionate about it and 
Um, I've got a pretty good size social media following. But, um, you know, for me, I decided, I was like, I'm going to build the community, the education, the resources around this. So, you know, we just started an NFT project called Tykes. Um, you guys can learn more about it at tykes.io, T-Y-K-E-S.io. Um, and, you know, my goal with that is to do it very much like what Gary DV or Gary V did with VFriends. You know, have events, have education, trainings, build the community, and it's all just around digital real estate. Everything with the metaverse, everything with the stuff we're talking about in real-world real estate. And if you get enough of those people together, whether that be developers, investors, entrepreneurs, like you get marketers. all those marketers, yep. you get all those people in one place, you can make a company pop, Yeah, you know, and you can pioneer this whole new industry. And so that's my goal. Um, you know, we actually did the pre-sale for the NFT um, this last week and we did, I think, 1.7 million already. That's it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, not bad for a big It was 1.5 when I met you. This is awesome. It's still going. <laughs> yeah, yep. So That's by good. the time this goes out, who knows? Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been great. And I can't wait to show what we have in store for that. So I would say if you're trying to technologically understand what's happening, join the group. Get into Tykes. Yeah. Um, now, as far as today, right? Because that's down the road. That's what's going to happen down the road. Um, as far as today, man, I, I think so many people are scared of the market. And I'm always a contrarian with everything because it's like, dude, if everybody says something, it's probably not right. You know, like the masses are rarely I'm, right. I'm with you. When the guy who shined in my shoes gives these stock tips, I sell all my stock. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm saving up for the big crash and this. I'm like, everybody's saving for the big crash, huh? Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure it'll happen because y'all are saving and nobody's going to, you know, crash. change that. <laughs> right. So. You know, I, I don't buy that the real estate market's going to crash. In fact, I was in Florida yesterday um, interviewing Patrick Bet-David. He'll be with um, me tomorrow, yeah. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I was interviewing him yesterday about um, this whole thing because he thinks everything's going to crash. And I was like, Pat, you know, this <laughs> is what I see. I understand what you see. But, like, like this is just what it is. And so I don't think that there's going to be a crash. I think that inventory is still very low yes it's rising yes the market's softer but i think we're just getting back to a normal market like it's not your house shouldn't get 20 offers the first day you right. shouldn't be listing it way over market value and like getting it that's not normal or and above it, it right? yeah like yeah. it you should take some time to sell your home it needs to be in good shape like you're gonna have to do some repairs you're gonna have to give some closing costs these are not like signs of a crash that's normal <laughs> so i see that you know i see this new thing that's in where multiple things like you've got hedge funds now who've bought up all this real estate over the years. They ain't selling, you know, you've got all these people who bought in the last couple of years that have super low interest rates. They're not selling. Why would you sell? Right. That doesn't make sense. So I'm just looking at it and I'm like, where's the supply going to come from? Yes. Demand's less, but still if hedge funds don't sell, if sellers who just purchased don't sell you or know, refinance, yeah, right. People yeah brought into those low 2.3s yeah like you'd be crazy they'd be crazy because especially if you believe rates are going to stay high to sell a loan with a two to three percent like you'd be like why right with the short-term rental market extremely gr growing extremely quickly in a lot of areas that haven't even experienced it yet around colleges there's certain areas that aren't necessarily beach property or, or vacation property where they have experienced that mm -hmm. growth where you take a different economic value to a property when you have a two something loan and you're able to rent it out at five or 500 a night 
yep. because there's a football game, you know, in your city or a yep. basketball game. And you get that big in sports. There's so many different areas to make money. And I'm, I agree with you. Uh, there's certain areas of the economy that, that will have a downturn. There's a lot of money poured into this market. Uh, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money still, which will carry a lot of investment and, and hold the bottom. And that's including in the stock market with institutional financing. A lot of people may not understand the market fully, but they definitely don't understand the market makers. And it's people like you and Gary and Patrick and the kind of continuum of what I call market makers, people that can educate other people on the opportunities, options, and touches of favor that exist determinative upon their timing and risk tolerance, which is a, another conversation for another day with <laughs> us. Uh, Ryan Pineda, he is truly uh, an entrepreneur. Join Tykes. I think you will benefit greatly uh, quantitatively. That's the type of experiential community that you want to be a part of if you want to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. What an honor it is to meet you, my friend. I'm sorry you didn't make it uh, in baseball because we probably would have gotten to know each other better sooner. <laughs> but nonetheless, you're so young, it's not too late. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me. Yeah, man, appreciate you having me on.